the the understanding of number begins in probably the second year, you know, um, not in a way that they would or even you would describe it as number, but just an awareness of um, of taking one cookie or seeing two cookies and taking two cookies, you know, just knowing that two cookies is more than one. I want I'd rather have two than one. But um, it's a very physical, tangible understanding, you know, just to 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 think about a really young kid. They have to actively make sense of the world around them. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Ann McKittrick here today. She has a Master of Science in Human Development and Family Studies from the University of Arkansas. Uh, she also was at the uh, Austin State University with a Bachelor of Home Economics and Secondary Education, <laughs> Certified Relationship Development Intervention Consultant, Certified Circle Trainer, Center for Improving the Readiness of Children for Learning and Education, Master Level Trainer, Texas Trainer Registry, Certified Teaching Consultant, and about three other degrees that I could go into, but uh the majority um of the, the major reason i really wanted to have her on is that she really specializes in learning development is my understanding uh with our younger children and sometimes on the show we haven't focused on the youngest of the generations uh which is where i think and we're going to try and figure out it's i think a lot of the pathway for our whole entire life from what i've heard is developed in these times and so with that uh welcome to the show Anne. thank you so much well, I appreciate you hopping on with me. I love the uh, Southern accent, uh, being a Southern guy. So I appreciate you hopping on. This should be fun. Um, how did you decide that you wanted to help parents with younger children? Uh, well, you know, it was kind of just a part of my growing up when I, I was the fourth of five kids. And when my mom, when I was seven years old, my mom went to work. Um, and in that time, in that in my generation, not that many of my friends' moms went to work quite yet. And um, and the job that she took was she was going to be the program director of the new school at our church. It was a child a childcare center, and so I grew up in my summers just spending time there at the school, hanging out with the kids. And um, I guess that's kind of where I got started in my uh, preference for being around little kids um, over most people. <laughs> but I really, I just love child development. I, I am always ready to learn more about it, even, you know, after all these years, I love to, to hear what what's it, happening. What is it that fascinates you with that? Um, the fact that so much of what we are as adults is 
happens in the first three years of life. And, and um, so the experience that a child has in the first three to five years really does shape who they are and who they become as individual people. So I have always been fascinated by that. I usually have heard like seven years, but in the first three years, um, what, so can you kind of dive into that a little bit and explain to me like uh, how the shaping of their adulthood happens in those first three years? At I least would the, say at that at least a 10,000 foot version, right? I know there's a very <laughs> deep dive into it. That's a big yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah. It is a really big <laughs> question and I don't want to to say anything wrong, um, but I think that it's really that the, the, the main way that we get shaped in those first three years is through social, our social emotional development mm-hmm. and the, the attachment that we have with the adults who care for us, whether they're parents or someone else, and the trust that we have in our world is what creates a sense of safety and attachment and trust in the world as a whole. And so if you are able to trust that your needs will be met, that someone's not going to, um, you know, be unkind to you, that you will be treated in a loving way, then you would expect that the world at large will do the same, will meet your needs, will treat you with kindness and respect. And so that's what we want, are people who are going to embrace and trust the world around them. So um how i mean it might sound like kind of a stating the obvious type of thing but like how do you how do you strengthen it like so if you're listening to this and someone has a one-year-old and they're like well i want to make sure that i'm instilling that trust and that um peace like i think what's funny is as a parent like we hear those things and we think we're doing them but i i I mean, you know, mine are seven and nine and I have second guessed a million different things that I've done with them. Sure. You, know, yeah. you, you never know if you're doing enough, right. Or if right. you've been too much or you want, you know, it's hard to find that sweet spot. And so how do you provide that sense where there is that trust? Um, you know, Dan Siegel has done a lot of really great work. He's got some really great books, but one of my favorites is called the power of showing up. And basically what he says in that book and what I have come to learn and observe in children is that they just need us to be there, to to show up. And so what that looks like is to be present and to have eye contact and to smile at them and to listen to what they're saying and listen even when you think you can't listen anymore to what they're saying and um and to respond to them and to you know just to be available emotionally available all that you can we can't all be emotionally available all the time i mean we just can't but um as much as you can just being present and available you know my um we all have different situations and then when my children were born at that time uh, my wife and i wanted her to be a stay-at-home mom and I took a position that I was working between 70 and 80 hours a week. Um, you know, and it was a family decision type of deal, but that's the way it kind of worked out. And so I didn't, I wasn't able to be there, I would say with quantity of time, but I was trying to be impactful with the time that I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be present because you just kind of mentioned that about being present. And so I know with a lot of people that listen, you know, they're like, well, we work two jobs and I try my best. Like, and I think that there's, we've got to have the ability as parents to kind of 
give ourselves a little bit of a break and mm -hmm. do the little things better mm -hmm. as opposed to like thinking you got to take them to Disney World every week. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. the whole rest of the week, you don't pay attention when they're sitting next to you and we're, we're playing on social media and whatever else there is, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm wondering if, I mean, uh, because with Money Talkers, one of the pieces that we deal with is with older kids is just breaking down the conversation to where you don't have to do huge conversations with your kids about money and entrepreneurship, but literally just be present to talk to them and ask them those kinds of questions. And so is that kind of the way that, um, you know, you, you've adapted to, or not adapted, but I guess presented to doing those same things in those early childhood ages? Yeah, and I just want to say this for the folks who are listening who might have interpreted what I just said as is something that is difficult for them to hear, and that is that they go to work all day and then they come home and they have their nights and they don't have all that kind of time to be present. Um, I have spent the majority of my career in the childcare world, and so I know what's going on inside those four walls when your children are in childcare from the time they're six weeks of age, you know? And, um, and here's what I know. It doesn't affect the parent-child relationship for your child to be in childcare. The, if when they are attached to their care providers, that is very much a part of the attachment that they have with their parents. And that, um, and so all that's good is what I'm trying to say. Um, well, I think that's very reassuring, right? Because I know that's one of the things that where we second guess, we second guess mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. And sure. to know that from someone who's been in, you know, so many different certifications and everything else, like to hear that, you know, just because I don't have as much time doesn't mean it can't be impactful time. Absolutely. Right? Or it doesn't Absolutely. determine that like my kid's going to have a different, you know, life path. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. So long as we do our due diligence to find really good quality care. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to uh, naively assume that all child care is, is fabulous for kids. And so, um, and so, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a really important point. And your kids will always prefer you over anyone else. Always. Um, well, one of the things that we talked about with off air uh, a little bit, and it, it kind of really piqued my interest was because I'm a math guy, because I'm a money and entrepreneurship guy. Um, you had mentioned uh, how young children develop and understand the concept of numbers. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, I don't know, I've never really thought about them developing the concept of numbers other than the memorization of the numbers. Um, as, a, as a math guy, I understand that there's a big difference between the concept of, you know, understanding the math problem or memorizing the outcome but how does that work in the younger ages where they're developing the concept of numbers? And do you have some tips around that? Uh, yeah. Um, first of all, the, the understanding of number begins in probably the second year, you know, um, not in a way that they would or even you would describe as number, but just an awareness of, um, of taking one cookie or seeing two cookies and taking two cookies, you know, just knowing that two cookies is more than one. I want, I'd rather have two than one, but um, it's a very physical, tangible understanding, you know, just to, 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 
to think about a really young kid. They have to actively make sense of the world around them by playing, you know, and that's, that's, we learn through play and we want children to learn through play. And so um, understanding um, if you're going to count to three, one, two, three, you oftentimes will use your fingers, but to use three cookies or three crackers um, and just talking, here's three crackers for you. And if you want another one, then you'll have four and just kind of using numbers and words like that in the conversation as you are just going about your day um, would be one way to do it. Um, another thing to, that children have to understand before they can understand number is one-to-one -one correspondence. And so, you know, just taking the one thing and calling it a number, I'm, I'm not saying that quite right, but if you had, let's say five blocks in front of you and you take one and pull it and say one and take the second one, pull it, say two, that, that would be an example of one-to-one -one correspondence where you're, you're making a movement and you're touching something and, and making it uh, tangible and something that they can physically see to, to put the numbers to it. You know, what's really interesting about that is because um, I interviewed someone that had developed um, software uh, to re, I, I don't want to say reintroduce, but like to re um, spawned to, he, they had a, they had a study done on a national level where there was a, once there was a divergent in kindergarten that when you, you had the quartiles of math understanding that you were like, I want to say it was like, it was, it was like 95% correlation. You were going to stay there in your quartile throughout the rest of your schooling. And I, it just blew my mind because I was like, in kindergarten, he was like, yeah. And he goes, if you don't adjust the quartile to get your kids and like to re-catch up. And I was like, well, what's the main, what's the main culprit to, or, you know, driving factor to driving yourself into the lower quartiles. And this whole part was, it was the understanding of math. Like it was the understanding of the numbers. And so I appreciate you saying that, that it's one of those things. It doesn't seem like a big idea, you know, as a parent, it's like, there's five blocks, you know, you got one, but it's like that whole, like piece. Right. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking through that as like, as adults, as, as our kids get older, and we have money talks with them. And, you know, the whole point of the show is, is that you're a financial genius if you know how to do anything other than they don't know how to do, right? If you know how to open a bank account or you know how to like uh, pay off a credit card or how a credit card works, like, and they don't know your genius. But I'm kind of thinking about that kind of aspect and going back and being like, you have to, if you do those things with your kids, like it may seem very mundane, but according to these other studies that uh, my other guest brought in, like that has a massive impact. Right. Yeah. And that one-to-one -one correspondence happens at, at age two to three. Yeah. <laughs> that's little. Oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> you know? And so right. it's, but that's the part where like they have these long lives ahead of them. Cause I tell people they're, they're not money rich, they're time rich. Right. Cause there's only a couple things you can have. And that's one, some of us would trade some time for some money. I can promise you that, but uh, you know, they've got this big trajectory. And so these little games that you play, you may not realize it, but it has a, it has an effect on them in college. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, another thing that, that we do just kind of commonly is we do just rope counting with children. Right. And, 
And so we do expect kids to be able to rote count. And just you might find it interesting that we would expect a five-year-old to be able to count to 10 accurately. And then by the time they're six, that they should be able to count to 20 accurately. And so that would be not just counting to 20, but being able to see 15 blocks and count out 15 blocks and say, that's 15, that's not 20 yet. <laughs> and understanding that that's less than 20. And so, um, so that's just kind of an interesting thing. Another thing that kids learn at a very early age, and, and we all know this from sharing, um, what's less and what's more, you know, which is bigger, which is smaller. And, and so that's a real common concept in children's books and, you know, comparisons and those kinds of things. But that's also a math concept yeah. that is cemented in in those early years. Well, you know, it's different than memorization, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, I mean, I guess that's the, you would have to know which is more and which is less by being able to understand the concept as opposed to just realizing that six is more than four. But if, yeah. you, could, if you can piece it out and say, okay, well, this is more than you're understanding the basics behind it, right? Or that, mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of, uh, so I'm doing, my daughter's nine and she's been home for the last two weeks. I think I told you that, but like uh, with COVID stuff and thank God, no symptoms or anything, but uh she got 17 pages of math homework sent home with her, which seemed wildly excessive because there was about 20 long division problems on every one of these pages. And she was like, we haven't even done long division yet. So we spent a very long time going through this. And as I was talking with her, um, you know, I, I could tell her, I was like, I love algebra. And she was like, oh, I hate it. And I'm like, but you don't understand it. It's, it's not trying to get to an answer. It's solving the problem, solving the puzzle. And by the time she got done with those things, man, I'll tell you what, she was flying through them you know and where she's correcting me at the <laughs> towards the end of them saying oh no you missed that part you missed this part you know yeah. and I, I think about that with little kids that i think that you know that that development piece with little ones like to challenge them mm -hmm. you know to recommend to challenge them so do you do you, so what are some like practical tips around that uh as far as like how to, is there a way to encourage more or should you do it just more as a lesson style or what, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think um, we don't really need to think about it so much in terms of lessons as we do just kind of, kind of keeping it as one of the things that you can have in the forefront of your mind. I mean, there's all these things we need to be remembering all the time and, and I don't want to put undue pressure, but um, just one one thing you can do is I'll give you this if you give me that. So I'll give you the ball if you give me three Legos, or I'll give you the snack if you give me four high fives. You know, it's kind of this exchange of things, one for this. And that exchange is kind of the precursor of paying for something, right? And so that might be one, one way to put the idea into the play that you have. Another is just pretending with kids. I mean, we pretend all the time. We, we do life and then kids pretend life. They pretend that they're going to the store. They pretend they're going to the doctor. They pretend they're doing all of these things. So create some pretend with your kid that would involve some numbers. And so you might um, 
play restaurant, you know, like even at the dinner table, you could make it like a restaurant and the person who's putting the food on the table. And then at the end, you have a bill and somebody has to pay the bill. And how are you going to pay the bill? You know, figure it out and just make it creative. But playing restaurant, playing store, you know, making a store out of everybody's shoes, pulling all the shoes out, making a shoe store. Um, you know, sometimes it's people, kids like to pretend like they're grownups, pretend they're going to work and then you know, maybe even actually take them to work or pretend you're going to do a job. They're the workers and here's your paycheck or here's your money for going to work. And then what can I do with that money? Well, let's go to, you know, Chick-fil-A and get some nuggets or something. I don't know. But um, but those would be ways that you could play with money concepts. I really like that because it's um, this, it sounds very impactful to be able to just understand the, the, the trade-off, right? Because we, you know, money is something that we invented in recent history, you mm -hmm. know, and but it used to be barter systems and those kinds of things before going to it. And so um, I, uh, I like that idea of just taking those 20 or 30 minutes and, and having those little, those playtime, you know, opportunities because uh, they're only going to last so long. You know, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so, um, what other ideas do you have around with uh, with in, in introducing, um, you know, money concepts with kids uh, at a, at a young age so that they can be set up for uh, future success? Okay. Um, just a couple other things. Um, one is using currency. <laughs> You know, let them see some currency, let them see some dollar bills, some $5 bills, some $10 bills and talk about it takes 10 of these $1 bills to make one of these $10 bills. And, you know, just talking about the use of currency. Um, kids don't see this so much anymore because we use plastic everywhere we go or we even buy things um, online. And so I think we're going to have to be very um, intentional about allowing them to see the exchange of money for, for goods and services. And so um, it seems almost a little old fashioned to pay with money, but if you feel self-conscious, just tell the person as you're checking out, Hey, we are learning about money. So I'm going to pay you with cash. So my kid can understand this concept. And, and um, what I find is people almost kind of like, you know, if you want to pay with cash, cause it takes a little bit more time and effort, but um but that would be one way. Another way would be to collect different kinds of currency, you know, like if you have the opportunity to travel or somebody you know is traveling, ask them to bring you back some bills and, and just have them out and study them and look at them and find the numbers on them and the words on them that are the same and the words that are different. Um, I just thought about too, it'd be really kind of a fun thing to pull up Google and talk about the uh, exchange rate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm watching this show uh, and it's in Korea and they're, you know, they're like, oh, I need a million won. And I'm like, I don't have any clue what a million Korean won is. I looked it up and it's like 857 bucks or something. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not, I'm like, okay, that makes this show make a lot more sense. Because I'm like, who's asking their friend for a million bucks, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. I still do it as a, as a big kid. So <laughs> yeah, we do, yeah. uh, we actually do in my house, we do the, uh, the jar system you know mm -hmm. you've seen that with the three jars and so they get um we have to go to the store and cash out a bunch of ones um for them and uh and we we debated on how much to do 
And we ended up settling on $10 a week. And it kind of sounds like quite a bit of money. But the thing is, it's actually saved us money because we've stopped purchasing, like, uh, we've stopped having money leakage <laughs> with mm -hmm. toys and buying things. And it's actually stopped going when you're going to the stores and the grocery store, we say, the kids are, you know, do I want this? I want this. I want this. I want this. It's like, okay, well, you have your, you know, so what we do is the $10 gets to them physically $1 bills. They take one goes into a charity jar, two goes into a savings jar, and then three, seven goes into what they want to spend. But it has actually kept us from spending more money because of that plastic, mm -hmm. you know, where they're now, mm -hmm. Hey, do you want this? And their concept now is, well, do I really want that? You know, now they're starting to learn like comparison of just buying something for the satisfaction of the toy right on the spot. Mm -hmm. and sometimes I'm like, they're like, it's $10. And I'm like, well, you have your own money. I'm like, do you want to use a week and a half of allowance to buy this? Then they're like, mm, not really. And then it goes back on the shelf and it's, it has made the conversation quite a bit more uh, enjoyable on our end. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's a great idea. Do you use a clear jar? So it's a real visible Thing. Yeah, they made them. They, we bought them, uh, bought them some clear jars at the little craft thing. And then they actually like wrote and made their own little uh, like puffy paint thing, I think mm -hmm. that's called yeah. a little puffy paint thing on it. So they knew which one of the jars was theirs and they knew which one, which one it was for. And they made little, you know, they drew little symbols and stuff on there. Yeah, so that sounds really fun. That way they've got tangible stuff. And now they've got some money saved up. And it's funny is like they started saving money, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> And my, they want to trade up for bigger bills all the time. And uh, <laughs> my birthday was a week ago and um, they made cards for me. And my son put a $50 bill in, in the card because he never spends any of his money. So he has like <laughs> he has several hundred dollars from all his birthdays and from people give it to him and all this. He like never spends money. And uh, and so he uh, he put a $50 bill in my card. I'm like, what? I'm like, what is this? And you know, I just looked at him and he was like, He's like, everybody's got to get some birthday money, man. And I'm like, dude, you are like the sweetest seven-year-old I've ever met in my whole life. Like, what I just, a generous kid. I you know, right? He, instead of like going out to buy anything for himself, he was like, he put this money in there. And I'm like, buddy, I can't take your $50 bill, buddy. <laughs> and he was like, you know. I love that. But it just, it, you know, it made me welt up as a parent to think that like that's yeah. his mentality now, you know? Right, yeah. It's like I saved it. I could have spent it, but I wanted to give it to you. Yeah. And uh it's, it's some of those moments that we have now that we've kind of implemented this tangible cash concept with them mm -hmm. that have been super beneficial for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know as, as I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking that, you know, one, one thing that you could do with your little children and, and maybe even a little older is when you go to the bank, just talk about this is where your money lives. And then when you use the credit card, you're taking money out. Yeah, this is where your money dies. <laughs> this is where it goes, goes bye-bye. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, I, I think that would might be just one way to make it a little bit more real, you know. We also, um, I had a guest do this, and so I did it the other day. <laughs> and uh, his son um, wanted, man, I remember he was like, oh, it was like 10 bucks, right? For a birthday thing, he wanted to take $10. And uh, dad was like, yeah. He was like, I'll pay you $5 an hour of work for the $10. And he was like, oh, okay, great. And he was like, and then they got done and he came back and he was like, all right, I'm dead. I, he's like, you got to work now Saturday, you know, from Saturday to Sunday or something like Sunday. And he was like, okay, great. And he's like, how long do you have to work? He was like two hours. And he was like, no, you got to work three hours. And he was like, what? You know, and he was like, 
that's called credit <laughs> you, you owe me interest and the kid was like you gotta be kidding so he actually put him to it i thought that was such a great lesson of future he goes you wanted to borrow money you didn't have so now you got a pretty it. high interest rate yeah that's what i thought but you know they should ask for your terms ahead of time it's a whole other right way. yeah yeah <laughs> and so um you had mentioned too, so you, you said that there were some uh, pieces inside of what you called considerations, right? Can you explain yeah. that concept to me? Yeah. Um, well, one of them was making cash as tangible as possible. Um, yeah. But I think another one is that we really need to watch our words around money and spending with little children who are very tangible, concrete thinkers. And so when we say things like, we don't have enough money for that, or we can't afford that, or, you know, um, just those kinds of statements, that can become a little bit worrisome for a person who um, doesn't understand abstract concepts. And so it's probably best not to use that kind of language with really young kids. A an older child might be able to process and you know understand the complexity of what you're saying there because they've had the experiences that you've mentioned before but a little one it it could make them feel feel fearful or have a kind of a scarcity mindset so we all have that situation right we're in the store mm -hmm. the two or three year old is like well, i want this i want this what would be some easier some what would be a better way to do it i guess would be the i guess the question other than being like well no we can't afford that and like i get you because it's it's like a it's an easy backdoor, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. um, what would you suggest on the, on the other side of that to encourage a more abundant mindset or a, a critical thinking mindset, I guess would be, right? Because I, I yeah. think of like, how do I, right? And that's what we've always dropped back to. So right, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, well, and it's the truth, three, actually. So yeah, I mean, well, a little older is like, how could you afford that? Or how do you afford that? But I know with a little kid, I don't understand. I, it's tough for me to think what we did in those situations. Cause I, you see it all the time in the stores, mm -hmm. you know, that's where sure. targets, a <laughs> target, it would be target yeah. Walmart's like a, you know, that, that you're hearing that if you're standing in line long enough, you're going to hear it four or five times, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, this probably wouldn't count for the checkout line because all that stuff is like candy and gum. But yeah. um, one idea is just to, when, when your kid sees something on the shelf and they say, I want that, um, take a picture of it and just take a picture of everything that they want. And then later on, when you have a, a moment, you could even go through the pictures and sort through them and say, of all of these things, which would you want the most? And then create an Amazon wish list for the relatives when it's gift giving time. And, and actually, you've got something that your kid actually really does want. And, um, or at least I think they do. And, and it, it kind of satisfies the itch of, I want that by actually owning a, a photograph of it. I have probably 50 pictures from my grandson <laughs> when we went to a toy store of all of the things that he liked and, um, and he took them himself. <laughs> so. I think that's fantastic because that's a, that's a, plus it's a delayed gratification or it's a, yeah. you know, what do I want? What do you, it's identifying what's really important to you, mm -hmm. which is a massive life skill. Right. You know, yeah. I've never really thought of, that's a great tip. Um, 
another thing would be at the store when you are buying something to let your child pay and do the interaction themselves with the with the uh, cashier and just have the experience of that for one the conversation that's a really good social skill to be able to speak to a stranger like that and to to do that but also the exchange of the money or even doing the credit card i mean the kid can do that as well so that's a consideration um, another is that, you know, little kids, as they are learning the names of numbers, they're going to say them all wrong. They'll make up words. They'll say, you know, 600 or, you know, when they're thinking of something big. So no need to correct that. It will correct itself. And there's no reason for us to, um, to worry about that. Um, and also to try not to argue about money in their presence. You know, if you're gonna have a conversation that's, you know, around those kinds of things, it's probably best to do it when your kids are not around if possible. And if you do need to do it, just to, to keep the tension as low as possible, you know, and, and to not let that be a negative experience for them. And then the last thing is that the research shows that money habits are pretty much adopted by age seven, which I bet you you've come up with this in, in your work, but I find that pretty fascinating that we, that kids that young would have ideas about money that, and how you spend it, you know? Yeah, it's no, it's, it's, yeah, it, if you, it's really in age three where they start getting the concept of trading, you know, currency for pieces and, and the stuff that mm -hmm. I've read and, and found mm -hmm. and it's, um, you know, so, but what I think about is if you're not talking to them about these things, then they're on their own to develop their own concepts without mm -hmm. any guidance. Right? right. And so if you're a parent and you've made mistakes, it's better to own and teach from your mistakes. You don't necessarily have to have to explain them in complete detail of the things you've messed up. Um, but if you could stop your children, like if you if you burned your hand on the stove when you were, you know, 15 years old, or seven years old, and you found out the stove was super hot, and you burned your hand from it, and you see your kid walking towards the stove with a burning hot stove, and they're putting their hand out, you know, like, you're going to stop them, right? Because you're like, Oh, I've learned not to do that. Same thing with the with the money conversations as an apparent, like if you burned your hand at 25 years old, or 18 years old, or, you know, 35 on the hot money stove, like, and you, you could have an opportunity to teach your kid not to do that. And it's mm -hmm. the impactful pieces where it kind of takes away, like, you wouldn't be ashamed, you put your hand on a stove, but you'd be ashamed that you ran up a credit card debt and filed bankruptcy, or, you mm -hmm. know, that you uh, decided to, you know, invest in the latest, greatest, crazy thing that was possible. And that money went away. And now you don't have it. Now you're ashamed and you just hide it. Like, it's the same it's the same thing and so unless we take these opportunities where we have you know burned our hand <laughs> and to learn from it our kids are going to be bound to repeat the same mistakes that we do and so i i absolutely love the development pieces i the part about taking pictures and coming home and going through them and that the, all the lessons is kind of packed into that is such a great idea um that you know that's a that's a real pills of gold because i, I can see the redirection of that um because it's a lot of times with our kids right so stand there arguing with them we it's easy it's way better to redirect and so if you could redirect like 
all right, where's the next, what's the next thing you're going to take a picture of? And they're like, yeah. well, we'll find something. And they just run <laughs> off. And like, you know, they're like goldfish. Sometimes <laughs> they got like a three second memory. So, uh, you know, they run off like, let's go find the next thing. Let's go find the next thing. And then you're leaving and they feel like they satisfactorily did something at the store. And yeah. you've gotten out of there without having to have arguments in the line and the, the side eye from the people that don't have their small children with them anymore and all yeah. that fun stuff. So, um, well, and that's really awesome. I appreciate you coming on Money Talkers with me. Um, let me ask you this, like if people are listening, they want to find more about you, like who should come find you and where do they find you at? Okay. Uh, you can find me at nurturednoggins.com. And I, I have information and, you know, blogs and videos and how to play with your kid. I really focus primarily on expectant parents through around age three. And um, I've got a YouTube channel, Nurtured Noggins, and uh, there's a series called Play School. And that's where I, you know, just kind of talk about playing with your kid and what they're getting developmentally from that play and just kind of some guidelines on what would, what would be fun for them and, you know, like what kind of toys to buy, what, what's good, what, what might not be so great for them. You know, it's a really great website. I went through, I was kind of clicking through and there's so many practical basics in there that do, cause that's the thing is like, we're like, Oh, you should play with your kid. And we're like, great. You don't know what to do, you know? And it's like, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's just the ideas that are there. Um, there's so many good things inside of there that are actually practical and so Thank you. Uh, if you haven't been there check out nurturednoggins.com and then uh i want to say thanks again um and for coming on to uh, money talkers with me oh you're so welcome that's great thanks thank you for listening to another episode of money talkers with me your host cody laughlin if you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker